Hey friends, just quickly, my new book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. Get it from plantproof.com forward slash book. Thanks so much for all your ongoing support, and I hope you enjoy this episode. And that's where everything started with the Engine 2 diet. We had this little bet to see who had the lowest cholesterol level. We drove down to the People's Pharmacy. We all got pricked. And one of my firefighting brothers, his cholesterol was 344 at the age of 33. And he had a horrendous family history of men in his family dying before the age of 50. Everybody was like, okay, we're in. We're in to help JR not go down the same path that his forefathers went down. I challenged JR to do this for 28 days. Let's see what kind of a dent you can make in your total cholesterol. And and JR, he actually went back to the doctor a couple days early. So he got a venous blood drop a second time and it was 198. So it had dropped effectively 148 points. And JR felt great. He lost weight and sleeping better. And we started this tradition that we were the house of hell. That's Rip Esselstyn. And this is episode number 77 of the Plant Proof Podcast. Hey friends, hope you're well. Hope you had a fantastic week full of good vibes. It's great to be back in the saddle here with you today. For new listeners, my name is Simon Hill, physiotherapist, currently finishing my master's in nutrition and host of this show, The Plant Proof Podcast. Each week, I get to sit down with super cool folks from all walks of lives, doctors, nutritionists, athletes, people who have overcome chronic illness, and much more to have conversations that can help all of us become more mindful and conscious of the way that we live. Today, I sit down with the creator of Engine 2 and son of the great Dr. Codwell Esselstyn Jr., Rip Esselstyn. We talk about what it's like to be plant strong for over 30 years, his swimming and triathlon days, how he was inspired to start Engine 2 while working as a firefighter here in Austin, Texas, and a whole lot more. You're going to absolutely love him and the passion that he brings. Okay, let's do this. Time to hear from Rip himself. Friends, I'll see you on the other side. Esselstein, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here in Austin, Texas with you. We are. We're here in, in Austin. I'm back back where I grew up or close to. I just said to you, I grew up in College Station for a bit, so it's cool to be back here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is this is my stomping ground. I, I came here in 1982 to go to the University of Texas at Austin, and I have never left. And so it's been now 37 years. Is that uh, longer than you've been alive? That is just <laughs> five years. So. Five years. That's not just that. Wow! <laughs> I can't believe it. you're only thirty-two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So tell me about about Austin. What do you? What to do you- be thirty-two again? <laughs> Gosh, do you know that I'm fifty-six? You're fifty-six. Well, you I'm don't 56. look fifty-six. Fifty-six. So. That makes me wow. I could almost be your dad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I bet. I bet the guys that you swim against don't don't think that you're fifty-six. 
uh, down at the pool. That may be true. <laughs> yeah, hope so, so. So you came to to Austin. What? Why did you? Why just settle down here? What do you love most about this place? Yeah, you know, I, I had no idea how amazing Austin was when I came here. I mean, I came here to go to school on a swimming scholarship. I came to the University of Texas at Austin because at the time it was one of the premier, it had one of the premier swimming programs in the country. The world record uh, holder at the time was a guy named Rick Carey, who was a backstroker. The American record holder in the 100-yard backstroke was a guy named Clay Britt. I was a backstroker, and I'm like, well, you know what? If you if you want to be the best, you got to you know go play with the best. That's right. And so that's why I came here. I also had an amazing time on my recruiting trip here. Went down to 6th Street, went to a UT football game, went to Mount Pinal, went out to a place called Hippie Hollow, right? In the back of a, uh, a Hertz limo. Uh, Hippie Hollow is a place where, you know, it's clothing optional. So got to, you know, <laughs> at the age of 18, got to go there. And, and watch a bunch of, you know, naked ladies jump into the water. And uh, I was, you know, I, I was in. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, every time I hear about Austin from someone, it's it's always about fun, right? And they talk about Sixth Street and they talk about the, the, the live music scene. And, yeah, I can imagine it would have been a, a fun place to, to, to go for university. Outstanding. And then the education was, was you know, absolutely top-notch as well. And the weather wasn't too bad either, you know, coming from Cleveland, Ohio, where it was you know, gray and kind of wintry for a good, you know, four or five months out of the year. So it was a great choice. I'm really, you know, I look back and I'm like, you know, if I wouldn't have come to Austin, I wouldn't have probably ever become a triathlete. And then I wouldn't have become a firefighter. And then I wouldn't have, you know, gone on this whole journey. And yeah, yeah. it's just, it's, it's kind of interesting looking back on the decisions and the choices that you've made in your life. And, uh, and where you've ended up because of it. Can you remember that sort of period of your life and when you were right into your swimming and, and even the triathlon events and training, did you ever foresee that you'd find yourself in this space of being an advocate for health and wellness and with an emphasis on nutrition? No, not for a second. Nope, not for a second. I didn't, I didn't have a whiff of being a, an advocate for uh, you know, health and wellness, specifically plant-based nutrition, until 2006. Okay. After the New York Times article that was basically touting a bunch of firefighters in Austin, Texas, and they used the term vegan, but I never used that term. I used the term plant strong, but yeah. And then after that, that uh, specific piece of media, it was like off to mm. the races. Uh, well, we're going to step that yeah, up yeah. And, and sort of go over how your journey to plant strong, as you just said then, which you're, uh, you're very famous for now. Now, just quickly, I, d- I just forgot to ask you something. Yeah. Lots of people have been telling me about the bats here. Yeah. Is there, is there something special in some, some place you go to watch them? Yep. The, so the, the Congress Street Bridge, something about the, the architecture of it underneath the the concrete kind of pillars and the and the the width of the cracks is just like idealistic for these mexican free-tailed bat, uh, bats wow. and it's i believe it's the largest urban bat population in north america there's typically between two and a half to three million of these of these mexican um I think it's free tail bats. 
And you can go down there at dusk and you can watch them and they depart from six different areas from the bridge. And it is, it looks like just smoke is being smoke kind of willowing out of the bridge, but it's bats. And it goes on for a good 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. I'm going to get down there. I'm going to get down there and check that out. It's worth it. You should. (laughs) Now, I think in terms of this space of of health and wellness and and particularly plant-based nutrition and the prevention of chronic illnesses, there's probably no greater family name than Esselstyn, right? And I caught up with, I was very privileged to be able to catch up with your mother and father last week in Cleveland, and I had a great time with them. I want to sort of piece together how this all evolved for you because you've done such an extraordinary amount of work in this space and achieved so much in really a relatively short period of time. So let's let's go back to to those early days with your family. Where where did you grow up and what was life like as as a kid for you? Mm-hmm. So grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, in a suburb outside of Cleveland, Ohio. My father is probably most people are, are aware, was a surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, I believe he started there in the early 1960s. I was born in 1963. You know, I grew up one of four kids. I was the oldest. Uh, it was Rip, Ted, Jane, and Zeb. We were, between the four of us, we were four and a half years apart, right? All of us. So we were, I mean, we were really- wow. That would have <laughs> pretty, been a lot of work for your mother. Yeah, yeah, nutty. <laughs> But but uh, I met Jane too. Okay. She's hilarious. You know, well, Jane's a dynamo, right? Uh, she, but <laughs> yeah, she was telling me all about her uh, her programs that she runs, and uh, she's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so we were tight. I mean, super tight family. Uh, on the weekends, we would all go out to this place that that uh, we have out in the country called the Knob. This is a piece of property that's in kind of northeast Ohio. And it's the highest point in Northeast Ohio. And it's got this amazing view out on the Lake Erie. And on clear days, you can see the freighters going across Lake Erie. But we would go out there and each one of us could usually bring a friend. And we would play, I mean, there's these, these amazing caves that are there. The landscape, because of the way it was formed from when the glaciers came through there, is really crazy. I mean, there's rocks, the the size of dinosaurs in, in certain oh, wow. places in these caves. When we grew up there, there was no electricity and there were all these screen cabins. So for us, the weekends were all about going to the knob, playing, you know, just being engulfed in nature. There was a pond there that had a rope that went up uh, 35 feet to a cable. And we would always challenge our friends to climb up the rope with no legs, if you could, and <laughs> grab onto the cable and then throw your legs up and then hang upside down and, and then do a, a, a gainer down into the water. Many people had landed awfully and, you know, stomach aches and back aches and stuff like that. But we also had a wood chopping business growing up. And so we would chop wood, we'd load it up into one of the, the trucks, and then we deliver it to Typically, uh, other surgeons at the, at the Cleveland Clinic that were looking for firewood for the for the winters, but uh, very competitive family, very tight family, and believe it or not, uh, up until nineteen you know eighty four, we ate whatever, just whatever, whatever we wanted, just like anybody else. You know, we at the knob we would do 
we would have um, spare ribs um, with that we cook over the fire. I mean, it was it, you know hamburgers, hot dogs, cheese, pizzas. I mean, it was all the all the crap. Sounds like you got some very fond memories though of your childhood, and 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 it sounds like were you sort of extremely active through this play outside sort of lifestyle? Yeah. I mean, yes, we were, yeah, insanely active. Is that what you asked? Yeah. Active? Active, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all we all swam growing up uh, on a, what's called an AAU program. We, we all did tennis. We all kind of, I think what most of us did track and field at some point. Uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. You know, we in the summer times we did a lot of camping. Almost all of us went to these these canoeing camps where you'd go out into the wilderness and you'd canoe for two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a big thing here. It's it's not so big in Australia, but I remember when I lived here, the summer camps were were you know a big a big part of growing up. Yeah. So tell me, you you just talked about what your nutrition was like, I guess pre-1984, I think you said. When did that start to change and what inspired that? Yep. So up until 1984, yeah, it was anything. Anything went. The two things that my parents did not allow in the hostel were white bread and pop. So, I mean, you know, hooray, hooray for that, right? But no, in 84 is when my father decided to start his research at the Cleveland Clinic to show that you could reverse heart disease, prevent and reverse heart disease. And that's when he and my mother started doing it uh, at Two Pepper Ridge, right? That's when they hunkered down. And I think my dad said, you know what, if I'm going to ask my patients to do this, then, you know, by God, you know, Ann and I, let's us do it as well. Mm. So we know exactly what they're what they're going through. Yeah. So your your dad's been on the show and, and many of the listeners may have listened to that episode, but if they haven't, let's break down what... What did he identify that led to those changes? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think how far back I should go here. So uh, his specialty, ironically enough, was not the heart. His specialty was breast cancer, the thyroid, and the parathyroid. You know, he was the, the, the head of um, thyroid and parathyroid at the Cleveland Clinic. He was the uh, head of the breast cancer task force at the Cleveland Clinic, I think it was in 1991, he was the president of the American College of Endocrinologists. So the heart was not his his forte. And he wasn't sort of set on on finding this cure for chronic disease or cardiovascular disease. He was going down an, another whole path for all intents and purposes. Well, he, 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 <clears throat> what he wanted to do is he wanted to basically uh, prevent the breast cancer, right? He was just, you know, he likes to say that he was just, no matter how many operations he did, the line out his office door just kept getting longer and longer. And so he, you know, he started scouring the the literature, looking at a lot of the epidemiological, you know, studies that are out there, cultures where breast cancer was one fiftieth what it is in the United States, and discovered that, you know, by and large, the the common denominator was predominantly a, a plant-based diet. And so he was pretty convinced that he'd have a hard time showing that you could prevent and reverse breast cancer in his lifetime. But then he started looking and I think he found a study where with green monkeys, they were able to prevent and reverse their heart disease by doing this. And he's like, well, if it works in monkeys, I bet it'll work in humans. He didn't know anything about Dean Ornish, right? And what Dean Ornish was doing. It's, it's almost like, you know, 
<clears throat> when you have these two explorers in like in Antarctica and they're both crossing it and they don't know about each other and they like meet, meet halfway, mm. halfway. They were just yeah. unknowingly both uh, sort of investigating the same area. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and so he decided, yeah, let's, let's see if we can, you know, by eating to save your heart, I bet you people will be able to save their breasts and their prostates and their colons. And that's when he asked the Cleveland Clinic, the cardiology department, I think it was in 19, yeah, 1984, to send him their, you know, their walking dead, right? That had been turned down for another stent, bypass, angioplasty, anything like that. They had no recourse but to change what they, what they ate. And yeah, and that's when, that's how it all started. How was that sort of received, I guess, by his peers? I mean, sure. we're sitting here in 2019 and like, it's like, oh yeah, it makes sense to change your lifestyle. But, you know, sort of back then, like, did he, was there resistance? Oh, big time resistance. I mean, even to this day, there's, there's resistance, right? I mean, n- not as much. And I think that, you know, today, and I'm going to go back, but, but today when you have somebody like, you know, Dr. Kim Williams, who two years ago was the president of the American College of Cardiology. He's the head of cardiology at Rush University Medical you know, Center in Chicago. And 23 cardiologists underneath him are all plant-based. That says something, right? And he has that saying, you know, there's two types of cardiologists, those who are vegan and those who have yet to read the data. And so- Strong statement. What's that? It's strong statement. Oh, it's, it's, it, yeah, absolutely. Which is, which is why to me, if you are a cardiologist, and you're promoting anything other than whole food plant-based, if you're promoting paleo, keto, one of these unnecessary procedures, because the bottom line is these procedures, unless they're like life-saving for a stent or something like that, are completely unnecessary and don't get to the root causation of the disease. So, so I'm super hopeful now, but I hear so many stories of people when I'm out giving a talk that say, yeah, my cardiologist said, why, you know, like, this is what they'll say. They'll say, how do you feel about me going on a whole food plant-based diet and following this Esselstyn program? And the exact response is, well, why do you want to follow that quackery and try and do something that is so absolutely difficult where you're only eating twigs and berries and leaves, right? So they immediately like try and dissuade the, the, the patient from doing the most powerful thing in their, in their toolbox. So that, I mean, that just stings. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's gotta be frustrating, but it must even be more frustrating for oh. your father. Who's, who's when, been, you know, essentially pushing shit uphill, so oh. to speak since 1984. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> he's, he's been carrying a huge boulder on his shoulders. You know, he would, he would in the mail, he would get wood chips from people, right? There wouldn't be a return address, but, you know, to like, you know, doctor, you know, quackery or whatever, you know, to this, to this day, you know, people at the clinic, even some of the, the top dogs in cardiology at the, at the clinic have nothing good to say about my father. And I think a lot of it is, is, is ego. You met my father, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, such a, a, a gentle soul, a caring, loving soul. And, you know, he, he, he kind of pivots it and he says, you know, the fact that we get a lot of resistance it's just because they don't know. They don't know the power of a whole food plant-based diet, unfortunately. Um, but yes, back in the day, complete resistance. You know, the fact that he was able to weather the storm and get to where he is now. And the fact that you've got, you know, the former fast food president, Bill Clinton, that's, you know, gone on record to say he's following the Esselstyn and the, and the Ornish and the Campbell program. You know, you've got Samuel L. Jackson that uh, has flown to Cleveland and 
you know, con- consulted with my father. You know, he's been written up now in seven different peer-reviewed, you know, medical uh, pieces of literature. This is this is the real thing. It would have been nice for him to to have a couple of guys like Dean Ornish and T. Colin Campbell on the side on his same the same side throughout that period for sure. Yeah. What's what's it like being his son? Do you ever sort of sit back and think about what your dad has achieved and and sort of the path that he's paved? I mean, he's he's almost considered, I guess, celebrity status in this space for for all of the incredible work that he's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. I never set out. I had no interest in going down this path. Obviously, I've always admired and respected and loved my, my father and, and his work. And I, I saw him when I would go home for vacation from the University of Texas, and I'd be home sitting in the kitchen in this blue chair that's near where you probably, you know, interviewed him. And he'd be calling up every one of these 21 patients because he called them up every, I think it was every Monday night just to check out. And he was just so diligent and so just, he, he wasn't going to let these guys fail, right? He was going to be their greatest supporter and, and advocates. And I just saw him putting his nose to the grindstone and how badly he wanted it. And then, you know, gradually he started getting proof of concept within about three years that, oh my gosh, you know what? We can actually turn this ship around. We can actually metabolize away these plaque formations and reverse this disease. I mean, at first I think it was just, can we slow it down? Can we like prevent it? But you know what? Holy, you know, we can actually reverse it in, in many of the, uh, many of the cases. And so I think everybody's seen forks over an eyes and they've seen the, uh, the, the before and after angiograms with Dr. Joe Crow there, but he's done this again and again and again and again. And he now, he now it will tell you, he, we've got nine different ways. I don't know if he went through that. I did, yeah. But we got nine different ways now of actually proving that we can reverse heart disease. The, angi- the angiograms are just one way. You have the PET rubidian scans. Of course, you've got the, you know, the reduction of the, the, uh, the chest pain, the angina. You got the reversal of erectile dysfunction, you know, and, and the list goes on and on and on, but pretty, pretty powerful mm. stuff. So, so I have, you know, people always ask me, I mean, did you rebel against your father? Did you like, you know, instead, would you want to go out and eat burgers and fries and cheese, pepperoni pizzas? And the answer is always no. You know what? I, I was his number one fan. I was rooting right there alongside him. I can remember in 1986, I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin. I, I flew home and he gave a talk to a rotary club. I think it was in Canton, Ohio. And I drove down there with him and I was taking copious notes during his talk. And he was so awful meaning his material was brilliant, but his speaking style was so awful. He had everything he wanted to say written on maybe 12 pieces of paper and he read it and he didn't look up at maybe a couple of times, just read it verbatim, right? No PowerPoint, just read this 12 pieces of paper. And I went home and I like, I spent like five hours, you know, trying to help him out and figure it out. You know, I majored in speech communications at the University of Texas, but to see how far he's come, you know, as a, here's a guy that 
his specialty is not giving, giving talks or lectures or, you know, but uh, it was surgery. So to see how far he's come since 1986 mm. is phenomenal. And you talk about him calling up his patients. I know when I was over at your place, yeah. he was still talking about patients he needed to call and, yeah. and Anne was talking about emails coming in and that dedication yeah. still seems like it's there today. Oh, that, yes. So he is so, so committed to helping absolutely anyone and he does it all for free, right? I mean, he will be on, he will be on that phone usually six to eight hours a day proselytizing the power of eating, right? A whole food, mm. plant-strong diet. He never gets tired of it. Sometimes I, I wish he'd break free and, you know, and, and do a little bit, do a little bit more outside of his, his, his consultations, he, he spoke, but it's his passion. right? Yeah. He's, he spoke about watching, he, he said he loves watching sport and oh, some of the finals. Oh, he does. <laughs> he does. Absolutely. Loves getting out on his bike, right? Yeah. Riding on that bicycle. He's doing what? He's 85. He's still getting 80, out of the bike. 85 will be 86 this year. It's incredible. Yeah. So you said you, you sort of didn't rebel and, and, you know, obviously you would have had a, f- a fair bit of confidence in this diet. So, you know, in, when you were sort of in your early 20s and you're changing your diet, confident in it from a, a disease point of view, but you were uh, a swimmer and, mm. and, and, and then a triathlete. Did you have confidence in it from a performance point of view and where did you get that from? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So as soon as I graduated from University of Texas, because when I was there, I was eating on the athletic training table with the football players and the basketball and the golf and the tennis and everything was, it was burgers. It was steaks. It was chicken fried steaks. It was, you know, spaghetti and meatballs. It was cheese pizza. It was serve your own soft serve ice cream to your heart's content, you know, apple pie, chocolate pies. I mean, it was crazy. Um, But, but back then it's amazing what you can get away with, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20, 20. Body's pretty resilient when you're young. Yeah. But so I, so this is 1980, really beginning of 1987 when I started doing triathlons. And, and that's also when I was away from the University of Texas. And so I immediately started like cooking this way, eating this way. Um, I also, in kind of scouring over the triathlon literature, discovered that uh, Dave Scott, who at the time was a um, six-time Hawaii Ironman champion, was predominantly you know, all plant-based. And so that was all I needed, right? Here's, here's one of my heroes, Dave Scott. Here's my dad, you know, my number one hero. It's doing this for health reasons. So yeah, the, the, you know, for health and performance in 1987, uh, I, I dove in and I haven't looked back. So what did, what did your sort of friends who are eating that typical standard American diet think about what you were doing? Most of my friends, when I dove into the triathlon world, were also became triathletes. Or, or, or were triathletes, you know, I, I don't remember them giving me too much shit, uh, maybe more curiosity than anything. Yeah, I think, I think that they knew me well enough. They knew the, you know, the Esselstyn family. They knew that my father's work was now, you know, three and a half, four years in the making. So I can honestly tell you that, that I didn't get that much, you know, flack or, or ribbing until I got to into the fire department. Now that's a whole nother story. Okay. That's when it, that's when stuff got real. Now, before we get there, because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to sort of discount no. the, how, how good of an athlete you were. Tell, tell, tell me what you sort of achieved as a, as a swimmer and, and a triathlete and, and maybe some yeah. of your fondest memories. Yeah. 
Well, as a, as a, as a swimmer at the University of Texas, I was a, a three-time All-American. It's funny. I mean, I was swimming with world record holders, American record holders, like I, I told you in the beginning, and I never got to that level. I mean, you know, I, I never made the Olympic team. I went to the Olympic trials. I actually was fortunate enough to win two national championships, AAU national championships on relays. But, you know, one of the things about being a swimmer is unless you end up kind of getting a gold medal, medal or you're like Michael Phelps or going, even going to the Olympics, typically you're, you feel like you're disappointed. It's, it's like, you know, every, every, I think every swimmer's dream is to go to the Olympics, you know, win a medal. And so I, you would not believe how many uh, swimmers I know walking around, including myself, that feel like they fell short of where they wanted to be. Now, to me, I look at that as actually a positive because it, it, it inspired me to no end to then apply myself that much more in triathlons because I felt like, hey, you know what? I felt like a little bit of a uh, failure is maybe too harsh of a word, but I just didn't achieve what I wanted. So I threw myself into triathlons and I became, you know, I became good. I became, I think it's safe to say, probably the premier swimmer in the sport. Myself, Rob Mackle, um, a, a couple other guys, James Bonney. But yeah, so I was typically always first out of the water. And then I could kind of usually hold my own on the bike. I became a, a really good time trialer over about a 40K distance. So my, my, the triathlon that I specialized in was a 1.5K swim, 40K bike, and then a 10K run. Like, I don't know if you know Brad Bevan or Greg Welch, any of these guys. Yeah, I've heard of Greg, yeah. But, but I mean, these guys were amazing triathletes back in the day. And um, so I was, you know, going toe-to-toe with yeah, those yeah. guys. And they could run. I mean, they could run like the wind. Some of these guys were running, you know, under 30 for a 10K off the bike. Wow. My, my best days, I was running a 33.30. So I effectively needed a three-minute lead off the bike in order to beat a lot of these guys. So, you know, I, I was top 10 at some of the, the big, big, big events, the St. Croix International Triathlon, uh, Escape from Alcatraz. I never, never had the mentality um, to do or to, to excel at Ironman triathlons, you know. Uh, you know, you're out there for eight, nine, 10 hours, the, the amount of training that was involved, you know, now that I'm 56 and, and, uh, I know myself a little bit better. I'm like, you know what would have been, maybe would have been interesting, but, um, no, I, I love the shorter, almost sprint distance triathlons. And that's, that's when I got to know Lance, like Lance Armstrong. Yeah. Right? Talk me, and talk Lance. me through that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lance, you know, Lance was amazing. I mean, when, when Lance was, uh, let's see. I first met Lance when he was 15 at the Bermuda International Triathlon. It was the biggest, had the biggest prize purse of anything up to that. He was competing at that age. Oh, at 15, Lance was competing. And not only was he competing, he was getting, I think he got ninth at the Bermuda International Triathlon. This was, I I had been pro for maybe two or three races. And I wasn't an expert at doing the open water swims. And Lance, I mean, he, he crushed me on that, on that swim. I, mean, I never saw him again, even though I, I, got, I got 19th at that race. But Lance, at the age of 16, 17, was winning the, the national short course championships. And, you know, this is way before he had even thought about doping or doing anything yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. And what most people don't know is that, you know, Lance is, was a, just a, a phenomenal engine and 
an athlete and, you know, mentally, physically, you know, across mm. the board, but yeah. And, and, and have a special relationship with Lance. Yeah. I guess there's a lot of that played out in the media. You would have had a, a very different perspective of him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no doubt Lance, Lance could be a bit of a bully, right? But Lance also, he wanted it so badly. He did his homework. He assembled the best team. He would scout the course. You know, he did all the little like detail work and the, and the due diligence that probably, you know, 90% of the teams weren't willing to do. And you hang out with Lance for any period of time and you realize he's a He's a special dude. I've heard him talk about his diet a few times, right? And then you're obviously close friends with him. What does he What does he think about what you've done with your, oh, he was on, your nutrition? Yeah, he was on board. I mean, he was on board. He was he was doing it. There was about a year period there where he was doing engine to two, sometimes three meals a day for almost a year. Right? Oh, wow. There's even some articles where he talked about you know how he's switched to eating you know kind of whole food, plant based. We did probably three or four lunches a week at at Whole Foods. Uh, together. But then after the the whole, I mean, he was on his way to, in my opinion, winning the Hawaii Ironman triathlon. He, he won a half Ironman out in Hawaii. And then he, uh, he had the, the, there, there was a confluence of things that happened. And then he had the Oprah interview. And after that, you know, he, you know, he went into a pretty, pretty dark place there mm-hmm. for a while. And that's, that's when I think his diet, he was like, uh, screw it, you know, I think he was, you know, doing engine two more for, more for performance and being lean and light than, mm-hmm. and energetic than, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me back, back in the eighties, I think a lot of people may have a bit of a misconception that it would have been very hard to do a plant strong diet. Um, you know, less, less information out there, mm-hmm. potentially less different grocery stores, no whole foods. What, what, what was your experience like then in terms of the practicality of it and, and how you found that as a, you know, young man? So you just said it, right? A whole food plant-based diet was nothing special. I mean, you know, yes, today there's, there's maybe there's more grocery stores. You got whole foods, you got sprouts, you got, you know, all these other guys, but I tell people you can make this work at Walmart. You can make it work at, you know, any grocery store. I mean, you know, Target, um, all you need are potatoes, rice, beans, fruit. I don't care if it's fresh, if it's frozen. This is the most economical way to eat on the planet. I, I, I was doing this in the, in the late 80s. I was doing it in the 90s, 2000s, 2010s. And to me, for me, not much has changed. You know, all these new selections of food that are out there, most of them are junky, you know, vegan crap. When I say crap, that's an acronym for calorie rich and processed that I got from, <laughs> from Jeff Novick. Uh, you know, the fact that we've got all these uh, impossible burgers and beyond meat burgers and the, the diet cheeses and the kite hill cheeses and, you know, all this other stuff. I'm a fan because it's getting, it's a gateway for more people to get into the, the plant-based movement. But then to me, the next gateway that you want to go through, go into is whole food, I agree. plant-based. Yeah. Right. Don't want to get sort of caught in that junk food area thinking yeah. it's healthy. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I'll, if people want to, wherever people want to start, you know, get, get into plant-based because as you and I both know, we got, we got issues right now mm. with, with mother nature and just the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 I think 
you know, from a transitioning point of view, some of those products can make it easy for people, particularly depending on where their diet's coming from. Yeah. You know, where they're starting from. Yeah. So tell me, after the triathlons, what was sort of the next stage of your life? Like, had you already started working as a firefighter? I started doing the triathlons in 1987, turned professional at the end of the, the very end of 1987. And then I did those uh, for 10 years and so, until 1997. And in 1995, I started thinking, because I was 31, 32, almost your age. 32 now, yeah. And I was like, okay, what's my next, what's my next move? Because I've been doing this now for eight, nine years. And, you know, it, it's all about taking care of yourself, getting the right amount of sleep, training every day, traveling around the world. And as much as I loved it, at the same time, it was also probably one of the most selfish, self-centered lifestyles imaginable. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's find something else. And I had a lot of triathlete age groupers, age group friends, who were also firefighters here in Austin, Texas. And they said, hey, you should consider, you know, joining the fire department, go for a ride out. I mean, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of guys that never want to grow up that are basically going out every shift four to 15 times a day and doing like really good deeds, you know, helping people, saving lives. Bit of and table doing, tennis. What's that? Bit of table tennis in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like, a, bit of, movies, right? a, bit of, a bit of table tennis. Yes, yes, yeah. I love ping pong. You know, and they're like, you know, no two shifts are ever the same and you never know what's around the corner. And when the tone goes off, it's like this rush of adrenaline. You just, you know, it's like becomes like your second family. And I was, I got really excited and I did a ride out or two down at the central fire station, which is considered the animal house of the fire department. There's, there's two engines, a truck and an EMS unit. So at any point in time, there's 18 typically guys there. I mean, you talk about a testosterone fest. Like a football club. Oh man. (laughs) But so I wanted in and I couldn't get on. I couldn't get on. It was like, so the first time I tried I applied to get it to get on. There were four thousand over four thousand people applying for twelve spots. Wow! And I, I didn't get in. Uh, the next time I didn't get in, and the third time, they changed the application process. Before it was just you take you, you took this hundred multiple choice civil service exam, and if you were in the military, you just automatically got an extra five points. And because I didn't was an ex military you know, my best score on that was, it was 96. And in order to get in the, to be in the running, you had to have a hundred. Right. And so if I would have had military, I would have had 101, but so I was like, well, it's almost gonna be impossible, but then they changed it where you also had to do a physical agility exam. You had to do um, a thing in front of a camera where you were actually, they tested you as if you were responding at a call and what you would do. Um, you had to take it, do a psychological exam. And so after that, I, I scored high enough to where I was able to get on. And in 19 September of 1997, I started as an Austin firefighter and I was, I was so absolutely ecstatic over the moon, uh, to be, to be a firefighter. Hey friends, I hope you're enjoying this episode. It's Simon here. Just a quick intermission to remind you that my book, The Proof is in the Plants is now available. In this book, I cover common myths about plant-based diets, evidence showing the potential health benefits that are up for grabs, the positive impact eating plant foods has on the planet, and much more. To order your copy, head to plantproof.com forward slash book, plantproof.com forward slash book. Okay, 
let's get back into it. So tell me when you sort of got into that environment, right? I, I understand that's sort of where the inspiration for Engine 2 Diet came from, right? Well, oh, well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah I mean, yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> 100%. 100%. <laughs> so, so what was the evolution of that? What, what inspired you in that yeah. environment to want to take the way that you were eating and nutrition and your father's work yeah. and turn it into something more? Yeah. Let me, let me take a step back. So I, I came out in March of 1998 to Fire Station 1, Central Station. It, it was a dive rescue team. Uh, I wanted to put my swimming background to work and all that. And that's where I came out and where I got just like loads of, of shit for eating this way. I mean, these guys, you know, they're dumping, dumping buckets of cold water on top of me when you're taking a crap. Uh, you're walking into the station, you know, you get flour d- dumped on top of you. People just just relentlessly telling me <laughs> that I will not be able to continue to eat this way. The last vegetarian that came through here, through here lasted three months. But, you know, the good thing I had going for me was by this time when I got out, I was 34. So I was already kind of, you know, uh, I was pretty confident in my skin. Resilient. Resilient. And I didn't have to like show these guys. I wanted to be fit in. I wanted to be, you know, a team player and all that. But I knew me eating that crap, I didn't have to do that. Were, were they testing you because of the way that you ate or was it just common when someone new came in just to test them in general? Well, so you're always testing testing uh, new firefighters. We call them probies. Yeah, yeah you always want to test them, right? It's, it's, it's a way of seeing what they're made of and, and uh, how they react under a lot of pressure because you talk about a pressure pressure cooker career, right? I mean, when the you know, proverbial shit is hitting the fan and, you know, you got a high rise and there's flames coming out. I mean, so yeah, you were constantly pushing buttons and testing each other, especially the probies. But now when it comes to eating, they, they tended to kind of take it to a whole nother level. Um, I can remember a friend of mine and he wasn't, you know, he didn't eat the way I did, but this is just something they did is one of the guys said, Hey, how do you, how do you like your legs here? Legs? How do you like your eggs, Scott? And uh, he took these eggs, he shoved them into his pockets, and then he busted them in his, in his pockets, right? <laughs> and some, so these guys, these firefighters, you know, but the thing, even though they're, they're crusty and they're, they're hard on you, almost every one of them has hearts the size of like, you know, hearts of gold. They're just amazing guys. And, uh, and, and the brotherhood and the sisterhood that exists not only throughout the United States, but throughout the world with firefighters, it's a pretty special bond. But so I was there for almost four and a half years. And then I decided it was time for me to go to another station after four and a half years at Central and not sleeping at all. And, you know, yeah, it was time. So I went to fire station two and that's where everything started with the engine two diet, right? We had this little this little bet to see who had the lowest cholesterol level. The next morning we drove down to the people's pharmacies, people's, people's pharmacy. We all got pricked. And one of my, my firefighting brothers, his cholesterol was 344. Oh gosh. At the age of 33. That's high. And he had a horrendous family history of men in his family dying before the age of 50. And so that's, that's when uh, everybody was like, okay, we're in, we're in to, uh, to help, help, uh, help JR, you know, kind of 
not go down the same path that his forefathers went down. Uh, and so in an act of solidarity, man, we like, we all hopped in and we started, we started with just lunches, making these, we call them wagons at the firehouse. It's, it's just a communal meal, but we started with these wagons for lunch and then uh, it spread to dinner. And what are we talking? Like what kind of like, so we, we start, we start, we started doing, we started doing the same thing every shift for lunch. We come in and we make these big old honking burritos. So it was on a whole, a whole grain tortilla. We put in rice, beans, spinach, onions, mushrooms, and then, yeah. And then we kind of roll them up, put them in the oven, bring them out. And then we usually put some sort of a, like a, a salsa, a salsa and, and guacamole on top. And that's how we started and everybody loved them. I mean, the Mexican food is very popular down here, right? I remember growing up. Very popular. Tex-Mex. Yeah, yeah. So, so from, from one meal a day, then it, did it sort of expand beyond that? Yep. And then from one meal, it went to two and then went to three. And then it went from, and then it went to breakfast, dinner, breakfast. And then we typically have leftovers from dinner the night before, before we left it for lunch. Because our shifts, we came in at noon and we left at noon. Um, so yeah, so effectively four meals and yeah. And the way that started is I, I challenged, um, JR to do this for 28 days. Let do it for 28 days, do it at the fire station, do it at home and let's see what kind of a dent you can make in your total cholesterol. And, and JR, you know, my hat goes off to him and he totally like embraced it. He did it. And 20, he actually went back to the doctor a couple of days early. And so he got a venous blood draw the, uh, the, the second time, and it was uh, 198. So it had dropped effectively 148 points, right? That's some powerful data then to show to everyone else. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, at the firehouse. And J- yeah, and JR felt great, and he lost weight and sleeping better. And after that is when we started, I mean, this was in 2003. And then we started this tradition at fire station to on the C shift, there's an A, a B and a C shift, you know, and and each one's on for 24 and then we're off for 48. So you're off for 48 before you have to come back again. But we started this tradition. And after a couple of years, I mean, we, when we had a, a vacancy that needed to be filled, we would have a list, you know, a stack this high of firefighters, fire specialists, fire lieutenants, that wanted to fill in that vacancy because they knew we were the house of health, right? They wanted it we in were the, the action. They wanted in on the action. And every afternoon we do a CrossFit, you know, uh, routine with, you know, pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, you know, um, medicine ball, you know, lunges. I mean, all that stuff. We got after That's cool. So, yeah. so word was just sort of traveling around to the other firehouses. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you know, there were some people that wanted nothing to do with Fire Station 2, but a lot of people secretly – they wanted what we had. Yeah. So at what point did you then sort of pull together the whole Engine 2 program and yeah. book? How did that come yeah. about? So we started getting some publicity in late 2005. And then in 2006, the New York Times did an article about a bunch of firefighters eating a bunch of plants. And it was after that New York Times article that then I got solicited by a bunch of literary agents and, and publishing houses to write a book about the adventures that we were having at Fire Station 2. And I had no interest. I'm like, well, who am I? Who am I to write a book? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a life coach. I'm not a dietitian, right? I'm an, ex, I'm an ex-professional uh, triathlete that is now a firefighter. 
But at the same time that these literary agents and publishing houses were soliciting me, we as a group were also getting all this. This is back in the day when people wrote letters, but we were getting all these postcards and letters in the mail from just Americans saying, you know what, you guys have inspired us to eat healthy. I can see that. I mean, like firefighters, it's, it, they're known as it's a manly environment. And to be doing this, like you said at the start of this conversation, yeah. your dad was getting twigs in the mail. Like right. this was seen as a, a twigs and leaf, uh, not a plant strong diet, like yeah. a plant weak diet, right? So you were flipping it on its head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's actually kind of ironic that, you know, we started this in the most unlikely place imaginable, which is a firehouse in the heart of the land of beef, right? <laughs> but in some ways, how appropriate. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why these, the publishing houses and the literary agents thought that it, it was, there was a certain, a neat dynamic there. Yeah. So at some point I decided, wow, you know what, maybe, just maybe I can using my own voice without being a doctor or a, diet, a dietitian, I can reach a segment of the population that wouldn't otherwise hear this message. So yeah, at some point I just, I got the confidence and decided, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write the book. And so the first book is just called the engine Two diet, you know, a Texas firefighters, 28 day save your life plan that burns away the, the pounds and lowers cholesterol levels. And that's exactly what it does. And I did a pilot study with 62 people, you know, kind of in honor of what my father did with his first patients. So I did this pilot study. Um, the first one was for six weeks. The second one was for 28 days and got absolutely staggering results when it comes, when it came to all the biometrics, right? Everything from weight, blood pressure, uh, total cholesterol, LDL, uh, HDL, triglycerides, fasting glucose, heart rate. I had everybody do a, uh, a three minute step test. Right. And then we also tested to see how, how a minute later, what their heart rate did as far as how quickly it came down, you know, pre and post, uh, eating this way. And the results across the board were beyond my wildest dreams. And at, at some point I was like, I can't imagine having written the book without having done this pilot study as well. Yeah, I mean that that helps give people the confidence, right? Oh, gave me, and, gave me, gave yeah. me the confidence, yeah. right? At, at a broad, broad scale, and the great thing—it wasn't just you know firefighters. This was this was sixty-two people. Half were men, half were women. I had fourteen-year-olds. I had seventy-five-year-olds. Lawyers, doctors, professional athletes, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home home dads. It was a broad spectrum of. It's incredible how quickly things can change, right? Well, you know what? It is, but it's a testament to how, how the human body truly wants to, uh, wants to right the ship. It wants to be healthy. It so desperately wants to be healthy. And when you give it the opportunity and all you're putting is whole fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans that have that amazing spectrum of all the healthy macronutrients, you're putting in the Goldilocks of protein, right? That that, that isn't inflammatory and doesn't siphon calcium from your bones and, and doesn't, you know, promote tumors and cancers. You're putting in the ideal form of carbohydrates to fuel our 10 trillion cells as, as human beings, our, our primary fuel source for our bodies and our brains. When you're putting in, you know, only the, really the good fats, the, the essential polyunsaturated fats, the omega-3s, the omega-6s, and you're not putting in any of the trashy, um, you know, the saturated fats, the trans fats, you know, so you're hitting a home run with the macronutrients 
And then with the micronutrients, right? This is, I think, you know, on top of the healthy macronutrients where you're really doing some, some damage as far as like healthy damage in reversing the disease, finding your healthy weight, um, just flushing out all the, the disease and trash and toxins that have been building up in your body for, for decades. So you're putting in, you know, all of the wonderful, you know, the vitamins, right? And a lot of people have no idea that there's 13 vitamins. And of those 13, 11 originate from plants. So it's like the mother source for, for vitamins, retainable, absorbable vitamins. 17 major and minor minerals of those, you know, 17, you know, the best place to get them is from plants that romp and play in the soil, in the dirt with all these, these, these minerals, right? Whether it's your iron, whether it's your calcium, your, your zinc, you know, you name it. The, the phytonutrients and the antioxidants, which are basically going to uh, mitigate oxidative stress, right? And, and neutralize free radical buildup that messes with our DNA, um, accelerates aging, contributes to chronic Western disease. I mean, this is the absolute like mother load of antioxidants and phytonutrients and phytonutrients, as you know, is a big fancy word for, for plant nutrients. And there's over 15,000 that have been identified. I mean, it's scary to think how many are actually in there in plants, but I mean, this is the heart and soul of where, you know, disease reversal and prevention is, is going to come from. And then we've got, of course, fiber, which the list goes on and on and on all the benefits of fiber. And I know you've done, mm. you know, you've done the, the, the sure's eyes and you've, you know, done your, 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 your microbiome people, but, you know, just to review a little bit fiber, it's, it's essential for so many things. And I'll just kind of give you a, a little list here about a minute long. Yeah, let's do it. So the first thing is that, it, it draws out toxins, right? It's wonderful at, at bringing out toxins. And I'm talking about the soluble and the insoluble fiber that you're going to find only in whole, whole plant-based foods. Um, when I, I'm going to take a little back step here. When I was doing my pilot studies for my third book, the Engine 2 7-Day Rescue Diet book, and this is, this is I call this the varsity program. It's, it's a little bit more hardcore than what I had in my first book, the Engine 2 where we don't even do tofu or tempeh in the seven-day rescue because it's too high in fat. We don't do, the only nut we allow are walnuts because they're so anti-inflammatory, right? Um, <clears throat> but I was working with 62 people from the city of Mesquite, Texas. And I asked, I asked everybody to keep a food log or food diary of every morsel they put in their mouth. I also asked everybody to fill out a pre-questionnaire as far as, so right now, what are the top two ways you get fiber in your life? And the first answer was Metamucil. The second answer was gummy bear fiber chews. Wow. And unfortunately, that's how most Americans get their fiber. And if you look at the United States Department of Agriculture, you'll find that 94% of America's caloric consumption comes from processed refined foods that have no fiber, animal products that have no fiber, and dairy products that have no fiber. So 94%, that's where it's coming from. A paltry 6% is coming from whole fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and beans. And so that's why your average American is consuming five to 10 grams of fiber a day. You start eating this way, and all of a sudden, you're going to ratchet it up to 60 to 70 to 80, depending on how, many, how much food you're eating in a day. You know, Without even thinking about it. 100, 100 grams of fiber. And that 
Now, now we're going to flush out all the toxins that have been building up in your body. We're going to actually bring, we're going to bring down, you know, cholesterol levels by, you know, kind of carrying away some of that, that LDL cholesterol. We are going to satiate you. I mean, you know, most people think you can't, you got to, you got to diet to lose weight. You got to exercise more to lose weight. The key is you got to eat whole plant-based foods that are loaded with water and fiber and have that bulking effect. That's so absolutely crucial. And so fiber, it's absolutely essential if you want to be satiated. In addition, right, because we are now pooping gloriously three to four to five times a day, we don't have any toxins that are rotting in our colon, right? And sitting there for, you know, I've talked to people that haven't taken a poop in over a month, right? Mm. But you don't have these little hard pieces of turds that are just sitting there basically rubbing up on your intestinal walls, creating calluses, polyps, right? That then typically go on to become cancerous. That is a thing of the absolute past. So because you're constantly flushing yourself out, now you're mitigating yourself against, you know, the potential of colorectal cancer, right? And then the last thing I'll say with fiber is just what a godsend it is as far as giving you this microbiome that is going to now make you bulletproof from chronic Western disease, reduce your chances of autoimmune diseases, because now you've got this fortress of a gut lining, right? You know, and all this leaky gut can potentially be, be healed and be a thing of the past. You've got a hundred trillion, right? Of these healthy bacteria that you're now cultivating in your, in your gut and your intestines that are called um, Prevotella, as opposed to these nasty, unhealthy bacteria called bacteroids that are like Darth Vader's that are now, you know, promoting, uh, promoting disease that are promoting or, or, or inciting you to eat the crap, right? It's like, what is, am I, am I wanting that cheeseburger or is it the hundred trillion, you know, you know, bacteria in my gut that are, that are wanting it. And there were, it's been referred to as the, the lost organ and the second brain. So, you know, the research, I, I didn't, you know, I'm embarrassed to say, but I didn't even know what the microbiome was about four years ago. I mean, it will, it's, it's, it's something that's being become very, very more recently studied and spoken about though, right? Very much so. Right. And, and, and our, and last year at, uh, at our plant stock event, we had Dr. Robin uh, Shakan, and I might not be pronouncing that right, but uh, who is like just uh, a genius with the microbiome and, and, and wonderful, but yeah, so fiber, right? And you're only going to get it from whole plant-based food. So, so I think back to where I, <laughs> I started this like 10 minutes ago. So I love you, it. I love you, the passion. So you got the macro, I mean, you got the, uh, you're hitting a home run with the macro. Um, God, I'm, I'm getting confused here with the, the, the macronutrients and the micronutrients. And, and now everything takes care of itself. So you said, I think, isn't it, I mean, how can the body like heal itself that fast? But when you don't give your body the chance to consume anything except these healthy, right? These healthy whole plant-based foods, it's amazing how quick the body wants to heal itself, nourish itself. You know, I just got back from a seven-day immersion program. And what we've discovered is that on average, people are losing somewhere around 30 points on their total cholesterol, about 25 on their LDL, the lethal cholesterol. We had one guy that lost 22.2 pounds. This is from 
for a seven day period. Seven days. So you're test, you're doing some tests on day one, and at the it's end. actually six days six because because they arrive uh, usually uh, on one day, but we want it to be a fasting blood test. So it's actually six days. Yeah, and then you know, and we have some people that lose a hundred and you know ten points in, in six days. But the average has been about 30, LDL 25, the triglycerides about 24, fasting glucose. We have people that come in, they're pre-diabetic, they're, uh, they're type 2 diabetic. They leave, they're no, they're no longer pre-diabetic. They got their fasting glucose down below 100 milligrams. People that are type 2 diabetic, we're not reversing it that quickly, but they have to start coming off, titrating down off their oral medications. So they're getting, down off they're their getting insulin. less insulin resistant. Incredibly so, and I listened to your episode that you had with um, they get Drew Harrisburg. Drew Harrisburg, yeah. which you guys did a phenomenal job of kind of really explaining the difference between you know you know managing it yeah. and reversing it and insulin you know mm-hmm. resistance versus insulin sensitivity you know and on keto you know you're just because you're not taking in the carbs you're never really testing yourself band aid yeah, yeah exactly um, but so yeah we have people bringing down their numbers. It's insane. Triglycerides. We had somebody that was over 2,000 when they came in. When they left, they were about 350, 400, right? So they're bringing down the triglycerides, which is the amount of fat in the blood, by you know almost you know, 1,750 points in six days. It must be very motivating for the people that attend the event to see the hard data in just yeah. six days yeah. and empowering. Yeah, but, you know, it, it, it is. But these guys... The proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, they're not believers until they get the numbers themselves, right? They got to go through the program. And this was this particular program that we just went through was for Whole Food team members predominantly. And, you know, some of these cats, they came into this program and, and they didn't even know what it was about. They just know that they were going to, they were going to a healthy eating camp, right? But they didn't know what that entailed exactly. Well, and then all of a sudden, day one, fast, no, fasting. Was, and well, <laughs> well and, I, and I give my orientation speech like, okay, you know, team, family, this is what we're going to be doing this week. And I, I said, how many of you, you know, ha- had any idea that it was going to be like this? And, you know, some guy said, I didn't know what I was going to be doing until I, you know, walked into this room, you know, and <laughs> some of the guys on the bus ride here, you know, from the airport were, were saying, you know, and I was like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? So we'll be sending out to them their after blood work. We'll be getting it in about a week and they'll get it in about a, a, a week, two weeks after they've left. And, and, and that's when they'll probably be kicking their heels and dancing around. And, you know, every one of them has seen their before and after blood pressure and their weight. And I just got the results earlier today for this last group of 84. On average, we lost 3.1 pounds as a group of 84 people. And the, cl- uh, the blood pressure, we dropped about 10 and a half on the systolic and right around six on the diastolic. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, I mean, good stuff. So, I mean, you you've had so much experience working with people and and helping people change the way that they eat, right? Yeah. Where do you find that most people come unstuck if they if they're finding it hard to follow it, you know, for the long term? So, to me, if you're stuck, uh I like to tell people that you got to get over yourself, right? The biggest hurdle that you're going to have to embracing this lifestyle is yourself. And if you can get over yourself and stop feeling sorry for yourself, you know, you can't have this, you can't have that. And look at this as a, a lifestyle of abundance, of fulfillment. Yeah. And, you know, the sky is the limit, right? This 
this is something that you got to embrace and you got to, you know, we tell people, you know, you got to, you got to find your why and you got to find your why below the why, below the why, below the why to really make this thing stick. You can't just be, I want to lose weight. I want to get healthy. Right. I mean, dig, dig deep, right. Dig real deep and find out what that is. But, you know, everybody feels like they have got a, uh, an excuse that's better than the next person. Right. And I say, you know, listen, let's make a commitment to your results and not to your excuses. Like, for example, you know, I've had people that have done this who have nine kids, right? Mothers who have nine kids between the ages of two and 16 that, and I'm just like, listen, you, you can't, you are not a short order cook. You can't be cooking one meal for your husband, one for, you know, for half the, the kids, one for another half the kids and, and yourself, you know, you just got to say, Hey, in this, in this household, you know, your husband and I, I mean, your father and I, we love you to the moon and back. And so that's why we're going to give you foods that are going to love you as well. And we're going to do everything we can in our power to make sure that none of you guys comes down with, you know, a heart attack or cancer when you become mommy and daddy's age. And this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to lay, lay this amazing foundation. And I like to, to tell parents to tell their kids, you know, it's not veganism. It's not, you know, plant-based. I, I like to say we're eating strong food in this house. We're not doing weak food. We're doing strong food. We're not doing the meat, the cheese, the yogurt. We're not doing the French fries, a lot of the oils. It's weak, insidiously destructive, pernicious food that is going to wreak havoc on our, on our bodies, right? So this is the path that we're going on. I've had, you know, all these high-level executives that are like, I'm on the road three, four, five days a week. You know, it's like, well, you know what? Man up man up, woman up, and figure out how to do it, right? I mean, look at John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, right? The guy travels around with a little miniature rice cooker, right, in his suitcase. And now and he, you make sure you go to a hotel that has a little refrigerator in it. You know, if you have to, you know, use Amazon Prime or, or whatever and have some food drop shipped to the hotel. Now you got, you know, your, your some of your staples, but you can with that little rice cooker, you can make your rice, right? You can uh, you can make your oatmeal, your steel cutouts, whatever. So you you got that. I've had a guy that worked on an oil rig in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean that had food drop shipped to him every two weeks to make it work. I've had truck drivers that have had a little a little freezer and a little refrigerator put in the back of their cab of their eighteen wheeler, right? And then they they travel around with a little you know a little portable burner that they can, in a pot that they can, you know, boil water and do potatoes, do pasta, cook their broccoli, cauliflower, whatever. So you got to get out of the way of yourself and decide how badly do I, how badly do I really want to be healthy? And if you want it, man, there's nothing you won't do. I think you hit the head, the, the nail on the head <laughs> with the, you need to find your true why. Yeah. You know, just putting it down to a number on the scales is probably not going to be as meaningful as something else. Right. And, and someone who spoke about that really well yeah. was Adam Sud. Yeah, yeah. Right? Who yeah. you know because he 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 spoke about you being the, the first person that was able to plant the seed. Yeah. But he really truly discovered his why. Yeah. And and to this day, that why has you know seen him become not just someone who follows a plant based diet, but someone who's a, a, a huge voice and, and an advocate now for yeah. it. Yeah, Adam's Adam's doing Adam's doing amazing things in this space. And I saw Adam, you know, I met Adam back in 2010 when he was, you know, approaching 350 pounds. He was a drug addict. He was, you know, 
He stunk to high heaven. He was diaphoretic. Every, every time I met him, he was just, you know, dripping with sweat. Uh, he was an absolute mess. And in fact, you know, I, he came to one of our immersion programs in 2010. And, and he was such a distraction for me that um, I thought about having him removed from the program, right? So glad that that, that didn't happen, right? Because um, who knows, you know, where he'd be today if that didn't happen. But I mean, look at him now. He's 150 pounds. He is probably one of the most articulate, well-spoken, you know, passionate guys. He calls himself the plant-based addict, right? As kind of to, to honor his his past with his addiction with, you know, with Adderall and, and some other things. And he knows the language of addicts like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can really connect yeah. on that level. Yeah. Yeah. With people that have a food addiction, with people that have any kind of a drug addiction. And now he, I'm sure he talked about it on your show, but he started a 501c3 and now he's going to be doing the first ever, you know, research to show mm-hmm. with, with, with drug addicts, what you can do when you're also giving them a, a whole yeah, it's going to be cool to see the results from that. Right. If I was a betting man, which I am, I would say that, uh, you know, he's going to hit a home run. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's surprising there hasn't been a whole lot of research in that space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I love the way Adam, you know, he says, you know, so here I was, I, you know, I felt like shit. I had no confidence. And all of a sudden, because he's, you know, he's got erectile dysfunction, he's got high blood pressure, he's got, you know, beginnings of heart disease, uh, you know, type two diabetes, all that stuff. He, he kind of knew, he knew that by changing the way he, he ate, he could maybe conquer these things. But what he realized is that by eating this way, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three times a day, he was telling himself that he loved himself and that he cared about himself. And, you know, for somebody that I think that is in dire straits like that, you know, doing that. Making, those, making that choice and that decision for breakfast, lunch, and dinner made him feel like he was worthy and deserving of, I think, climbing out of this hole. Yeah, it's a beautiful you story. Know? And, and then he talks about, you know, you know, find, just find a few behaviors that you can, you can fall in love with, like eating oatmeal in the morning and, you know, eating mangoes and eating sweet potatoes and, you know, moving a little bit. And if you string together enough of these, these days before you know it, you're no longer uncomfortable. You're no longer, well, he loves to say, you got to become comfortable being uncomfortable. But all of a sudden, that being uncomfortable becomes comfortable, mm-hmm. right? And you fall in love with the behaviors. And now all of a sudden, you're losing weight. You're you know, reversing your insulin resistance. So um, yeah, I couldn't be more proud of, of, of Adam and what he's been able to do and what he's doing now with on his own with Mastering Diabetes and with, and with Engine 2 and, and helping us with our program. Hey, friends, me again. Quick note to let you know, I have a brand new, completely complimentary two-week plant-based meal plan on my website. Inside contains delicious breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack recipes, along with a complete breakdown of the nutritional information for each. Whether you're looking to add one plant-based meal to your weekly regime or go full plant, I'm sure you'll find this resource helpful. You can get your copy today at plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. That's plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. Okay, let's get back into it. So the the Engine 2 book, right, and we, we've sort of been going over a lot of the principles that are in it, and that went on to become a New York Times bestseller. But Engine 2 now is it's more than just a book. Walk me through what else it, it now sort of yeah. um, consists of today. Yeah. yeah. 
So Engine 2 was the first book uh, based upon all the adventures that I had with the guys at Fire Station 2. In 2009, I, I got it was super like honored and privileged to be asked by Whole Food Market stores to become a health eating partner. Was that when John Mackey was he there then? Yes, yeah. yes. It was specifically John that, okay. that 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 approached me about that, and he said, "You know, Rip, if you if you'd consider, you know, retiring from firefighter, I've been a firefighter for twelve years, so I was kind of in many ways just finding my stride as a firefighter." But he said, if you're willing to, you know, retire from firefighting, you know, my bet is, is that you can save a lot more people and help a, you can save a lot more people's lives and help a lot more people by, by coming and being a health eating partner with Whole Foods than you ever could as a firefighter. Was he plant-based in? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 John had been plant-based, not necessarily healthy, but plant-based since 2003 for ethical reasons. And then in about 2006 or 2007, he and his wife, Deborah, got really motivated to start eating whole food plant-based because they, I think, made a pact together that they wanted to live to the age 100 or, or, or greater. And that's when he found, I think, you know, the China study, prevent reverse heart disease. He read Engine 2, enjoyed Engine 2. And, uh, and that's when he approached me about coming to work with, uh, with Whole Foods and, and giving talks to the 100,000 team member base, to the millions of customers. And so for the last nine years, I've been going around to Whole Foods stores and, and giving free, you know, lectures to the public, uh, educating team members. And then also we've got a food line. So we've got an engine to plant strong food line that adhere to all the principles as far as being 100% plant-based. If we have any grains, they got to be whole grains, not processed grains. Everything's got to be low salt, low sugar, low fat, non-GMO verified, all that stuff. And, and we've got We've got about 40 different products in the store, you know, everything from pizza crust to hot cereals, cold cereals, granolas, soups, veggie bras, burritos, raviolis, pretty, pretty cool stuff. That's and, awesome. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that sounds like a, a, a fairly sizable amount of work in terms of as a company, like there'd be a lot, a lot of logistics going on there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm super, super lucky because, you know, Whole Foods has licensed this from me. So I didn't have to put up any capital for this. You know, my risk in this was essentially like very limited. Whole Foods is the one that basically was going to take it all on the chin if if it didn't if it didn't work. But I was very intimately involved with the creation of the products, visiting the manufacturers, right? Everything had to pass, you know, basically um pass my desk, Criteria. right? Yeah. Uh, in, in order to make it. But yep, yeah, couldn't couldn't be prouder of that. And then we've also started, we've started the, the uh, engine two events. So we throw five and seven day medical immersion programs. And that was one of the things that also John, that I did with, with Whole Foods and John Mackey is in 2010, we started doing these whole food immersions for Whole Foods unhealthiest team members. And it was John's idea to basically take these guys, these guys and these women, and kind of from soup to nuts, teach them everything about what it means to to live the whole food plant-based lifestyle. And because they were medical immersions, John insisted on doing, you know, blood work going in and then going out. And that's when I, you know, after just one of these and, and seeing the results in seven days, I thought, yeah, there's no way. There's no way you can get these kind of results in seven days. But then we started doing it consistently. And I've now thrown over 20 of these, right? And I'm now throwing three a year. We do the one for Whole Foods team members. 
And then we do two for the public. And they're in, you know, wonderful exotic locations like, you know, the Blue, the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, and, and the Red Rock Mountains of Sedona, Arizona. And you're surrounded by like-minded people that are also, you know, wanting to reclaim their, their you know, their lost health. So it's, it's great work that we're doing there. I also, you know, I've just started a podcast. Which I want to go into. Much like I you. Want, I want to uh, yep. understand a little bit more about Joe. Yep, yep. You know, I was very intimately involved with the Game Changers. Okay. The uh, the documentary that, that'll be the, that'll be coming James out James Cameron later this year. Yeah, yep. And so I, you know, I, I, I helped Joseph Pace and James Wilkes, you know, the producers of the film, you know, raise money. I was able to help arrange the meeting with James Cameron, you know, to get James on board on board, which was really crucial to the success of the film and and then raising the necessary funding. So that should be out make it happen. this year? It'll, it'll be out this year. Okay. Yep. Can't say anything more about it than that, but it'll be out. So maybe for people who haven't heard about it, yeah, yeah. give it a little bit of a yeah. synopsis. So uh, the, the Game Changers is James Wilkes, who's a former mixed martial artist champion. He gets injured and he goes, while he's rehabbing, he goes on this search for the truth in nutrition. Because we believe the most dangerous myth swirling around out there is that real men and real women need meat for strength, for protein, and for optimal wellness. And you and I and all the people that are in this whole food plant-based space know that that's absolute bullshit. But for 99% of America, they don't know that. They don't know that, you know what, all protein originates mm. from plants. That's where the nine essential amino acids originate from is from whole plant-based foods. And any protein that is in any animals, you know, meat, muscle, comes either directly or indirectly from the plants. So James goes on this search and he goes all over the world, basically, and the story is told in such a brilliant way, but meeting and talking to world record holders, Olympic gold medalists, world strongmen, visionary scientists, you know, amazing iconic figures like Arnold Schwarzenegger that are now all plant-based, right? And uh, it is it is told in a really compelling way and you don't want to miss it. It's going to be powerful. Yep. It'll be a game changer. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Now, you mentioned before that you you have kids, right? I have three. You have three kids. Okay. And they are they're eating a, a plant strong diet. Oh my god, <laughs> they are plant strong through and through. These guys have never had a piece of animal muscle their whole entire life, right? I mean, and they love being plant strong. They're thriving. I have Hope, who's five. I have Cole, who is twelve, and Sophie, who's eleven. So now that you know the the older two are sort of probably from a social perspective, mingling at, you know, yeah. other kids' houses and at school and, and whatnot. How's, how's that experience been for them in terms of, I mean, we don't live in a plant-based world, so obviously yeah. certain, certain circumstances may come up where there is not plant-based food and, and how, how do they sort of approach that situation? First, they're not getting that much flack or ridicule from their classmates. And, and, and these guys are educated enough to where they know that what they're doing on every level is the right thing. My daughter, Sophie, actually came home the other day and 
she did have a, a cry, but not at school because a bunch of people were telling her that there was no protein in plants, right? And she had to say, no, yes, there is. There's protein in everything. There's protein in broccoli. And, the, and they kind of ganged up, her and, ganged up mm-hmm. on her and said, no, there's not. And then, you know, one of them even said that, you know, well, well my mother's, you know, written a book on nutrition. And Sophie didn't say, well, so is my father, but... <laughs> And my grandfather. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> Forgot about that guy. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, these guys, they'll go to birthday parties and um, and they'll ask if, you know, is, is that ice cream made with, with, uh, with cow's milk? And if it is, you know, they'll politely decline. Now, that wasn't always the case. So, uh, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, they would even have some some cow's milk ice cream, but that is, um, that's not the case any, any, any longer with the older two. So as they've got a bit more comfortable. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, Isn't it crazy though, how like the, you know, at 11 and 12, you're talking about their peers saying, you know, there's only protein found in, in meat, but it's crazy how quickly you can be conditioned to, to believing that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's conditioned everywhere, everywhere most Americans look, that's how we've been conditioned. So it's, you're not only hearing it maybe at home, like, hey, you know, eat, eat that burger for, you know, make sure you're getting all the protein or, hey, make sure you finish all that milk, make sure you're getting, you know, all your calcium and your protein. But, you know, we're also getting it, you know, when you're looking at the Super Bowl and you see the rock jump, jumping through a plate glass window or not a plate glass window, but a glass window and saying, you know, drink your milk, you know, for calcium and, and, and protein. So, I mean, the the marketing the messaging you know it's 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 pervasive it's everywhere yeah it's so and i mean and that sort of just speaks to the point that i can i can understand how people can appro- can initially approach plant based nutrition with such resistance right because yeah that's decades of conditioning Decades. And, that, and then that can take some time to unlearn decades that need to be deprogrammed yeah right i mean you need to be deprogrammed and it, it, it takes a fair amount of, you know, persuading to deprogram somebody from 20, 30, 40, 50, some cases, 60 years of, of thinking this is the way it's, this is the way it is. Right. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think the, um, you know, and everybody uses the, 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 the thing where, you know, well, you know, look at the, the, the biggest, strongest animals on the planet, right. They're herbivores. They get everything they need from, from the plants. Right. You know, um, they get all the calcium they need from the the grass and the grains and look at their bones, right? Uh, they get everything they need, all the protein from the grass and the grains and everything. And, you know, look at their muscles, look at the silverback gorilla. So, you know, that's one that sometimes people go, huh, I never thought about it like that. But, you know, even James Cameron, when I first met James Cameron, was convinced that you, I mean, he said, I never liked eating animals. But I was convinced that, well, if I'm not eating animals, how, how else will I get my protein? So it's either, it's either us or them. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to eat them. And now he, he'll, you know, go on record to say, you know, because he, he's such an environmentalist that, you know, if, you're, if you truly consider yourself an environmentalist and you're still eating, you know, any animal products, that's probably the most hypocr- hypocritical thing out there. Mm, that's a big one, isn't it? Oh, that's yeah. A big one, yeah. Yep. And they're, you know, he goes to get this award and they're serving prime ribs on everybody's plates or, you know, maybe, you know, salmon or something like that. It's just like, wow, really? Yeah, because yeah, uh, like he and Susie initially came at plant-based from a planetary health point of view, right? Totally. Is that something, obviously, you've come into this, 
this way of living from a health perspective, similar to myself, but yeah. but definitely the the animal ethic and the planetary health is something that I think about a lot more. And it's also something that makes me feel very good about the way that I, I fuel myself, right? Yeah. Is that something that you think about? Totally, totally, totally. I love telling everybody that, you know, Gandhi a long time ago said, true happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are all in complete alignment, right? And I tell people, man, you start eating this way and with every forkful, every spoonful, you are living in a, in a way that's in alignment with your, with your true authentic you know, self and your values. You know, so values to be the healthiest version of, of Rip Esselstyn, the, um, living in alignment with a Rip Esselstyn that really wants to be a good steward of this planet and this environment and doesn't want to be contributing to the global greenhouse gas emissions that are caused by all this animal, uh, animal agriculture that's out there. We, we hear all these different numbers you know, animal agriculture is responsible for 15, 16% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And the, the greatest number that I've heard, and they talked about it in, in Cowspiracy, was 51%. When you add up the life cycle and the supply chain of all the animals that we, you know, we kill every year, it's 51% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So that's something that you can feel really, really good about. And then the last thing is, you know, the number, the numbers vary, but I consistently hear on planet earth, we now kill 70 billion animals roughly every year for our insatiable consumption of, of animal protein. And it's just, you know, obviously it's prematurely killing us, causing all this chronic Western disease. So I think all of us want to live in, in alignment with our value to be kind and compassionate and to be protective of these other animals and not be complicit right? In the, in the killing of 70 billion animals. So you can feel good about that as well. So the ripple effect, and as you know, how long you've been doing this? Nearly five years, four or five years. Yeah. Four or five years. Yeah. So the, I mean, the ripple effect is profound and far reaching and it goes way beyond just Simon or rip, right? And there's that good karma too. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a good thing. It's beautifully put. It's yeah. very liberating. Yeah. Very liberating. Love it. Now, before we wrap this up, Brian, I want to talk about the podcast. Yeah. I've listened to the first few episodes. I'm really interested in, in Joe Inger's story. How did you meet Joe? Yeah. And, and how did you sort of become aware of his health situation and want to, to use the podcast as a channel to sort of show his journey? Uh-huh. Well, first, thanks for listening to, oh, the, to the podcast. It's, it's addictive. Um, it's good, guys. If you, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. Well, we... Um, at some point, I just decided, okay, I, I, I want to do a podcast. In January, I got, an, I got lots of emails from people, and I got one from Joe Inga. And he said, hey, I'm this Bronx firefighter. I've been trying to eat this way for almost seven years. You know, Every time I have my annual firefighter physical, I get flagged for high cholesterol, high LDL, you know, blood sugars that are too high, all this stuff, triglycerides. And you're probably, you know, the only guy that really knows what I'm going through since you used to be a firefighter as well. Would you consider helping me? And so I wrote him back and said, man, I'd I'd love to help you. In fact, I'm going to be in New York. I'm going to be interviewing a bunch of people for this podcast that I'm launching. Would you come by and let me interview you on the podcast? And he said, sure, man, you sure you want me? I'm like, yeah. And so he came and I interviewed him for about an hour and 20 minutes. 
And I was, I also had, you know, uh, uh, my producer and, and two other people that were in the room listening. And this guy made himself so absolutely vulnerable, opened himself wide open. And after Joe left, we all just looked at each other and we're like, man, this needs to be the through line like for every episode. And so that's when it was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to marshal together all my superhero plant, strong friends, doctors, dietitians, chefs, TV personalities, and we're going to help Joe. And by helping Joe, we're going to help every Joe and every Jane that's out there that is also wanting to take back their health, whether you've been eating this or been trying to eat this way, or you're absolutely new to the lifestyle. And so, and so that's how it, that's how it started. And so the first episode, of course, is with my father, the number one killer of firefighters in the line of duty is heart disease. The second is, well, I'm in, but now, now what do I do? And that's when I brought in my mom, who's been, you know, doing this now since 1984. And so I talked to her about the food and and making that happen. The third episode is about the Shur's eyes, because, you know, as firefighters, we are notorious for, for sleep deprivation and we're up. I mean, when I was at Central Station, I was up maybe three, four, five times a night. And then it's impossible to get back to sleep. And anyway, it's painful. And so I had the Shur's eyes talking about the importance of sleep, which is, as you know, one of the one of the parts of neuro, their acronym for optimal brain health. And then the fourth episode, which we we just released not too long ago, is with JD Roth, right? You know, the the iconic creator of the biggest loser. And, and JD kind of, you know, I love the, the angle that he took, which is basically, you know, in order to be a winner, you got to be a loser. You, you can't be afraid to lose because every winner, you know, there's a trail of, of, of losing that is, you know, behind them. And I thought about my life and we talked about in the beginning of this podcast with swimming, how I felt like I was a bit of a, you know, I didn't achieve what I wanted to there. So a bit of a loser there. And how that's just, it just drives me, right? To, to want to be successful and, and, and stuff. And so JD is, is just wonderful. And his wife, Chrissy, is, is also brilliant. But anyway, so it just goes from there. And, uh, and we, I think we found a really fun format. It's kind of creative. You know, they're typically 30 to, to 40 minutes long. Um, and he's gonna he's gonna train now, right? Oh, right. Do a, do a triathlon. Yeah. You've missed you've so, missed the, the, <laughs> the biggest part of the story. <laughs> you forgot about that. <laughs> so Joe Joe has been a couch potato for almost ten years. Over the last, he's been a, a, a firefighter for twelve years. Okay. And he said, for like for the last ten years, he has outside of you know being a firefighter, he doesn't do any training. He's a couch potato. And he's gained successfully about eight pounds, eight to 10 pounds a year for the last 10 years. So he's got a good 80 to 90 pounds to lose. So I've challenged him to do a triathlon. So he's starting to train. Um, I saw his stroke. He took a video of his stroke in the pool the other day. Not very pretty, but he's going to get there. And he started. Oh, he, oh, he's, oh, he started. He started. He's biking. He's, he's, he's running on the treadmill. You know, it's, it's a little bit, it was inclement in, in in New York, but yeah. So September, I think it's September 10th or 11th. We're going to have a, a triathlon at the Esselstyn family farm. Um, we're also going to have it be a fundraiser for the Esselstyn family foundation, which is a 501 C three that we just recently started. But so, you know, if anybody wants to fly into um, Albany and, you know, race alongside Joe 
my father, my mother, they're going to be on a relay, right? <laughs> We're going to have this triathlon awesome. on the fam- Esselton family farm, and it will be epic. Absolutely epic. That's so cool. Yep. But what, what, what an achievement for, for Joe. And Joe will be coming with his wife and his two kids, and he's going to bring, I think, his mother and his father are going to fly up from Florida. And, you know, I check in with Joe every week. We talk, and he is, he feels so much, so much love and encouragement from, from everybody that's supporting him on this journey. So it, it, it's, it, it's been a really, it's been a, a lot of fun, and I can't wait to see what happens. That's great. I love what you're doing with the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Finally, what's, what's coming up in the next year for you, and what's driving you every morning you wake up? What's driving you to, uh, to, to continue pushing this plant strong message? What's driving you? <laughs> I just want to keep making a difference for it. <laughs> so I've been at this, let's see, pretty hard now for 10 years. And uh, it's funny how I, in some ways I feel like I'm just finding my groove, right? So I am going to, I mean, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting my feet wet with the podcast. So I can't wait to really dive into that. You know, I've been looking to do something where I can, I can reach a, a, a wider audience. And then, so I'm hoping that this podcast has, has that effect. You know, I've done the, done the, the food line thing. So, and that's, wow, what a, what an eye opener that was. I've written four books now. And um, so I don't have a, a new book, you know, on the drawing board for, for the next year or two, but you, I've, I've now, you know, conceded that with books, you just, you never know, right. If, if that spirit hits you, if the muse enters you and you decide you got to do another book, you know, uh, just so be it. I think it'd be neat. You know, I, I noticed that you're doing some really cool stuff with IGTV, right. Yeah. And, and that's a whole, that's a whole medium that, that I'd like to explore a little bit. I'd like to see where the where the game changers goes, you know. And I'm going to be doing this a really cool thing in September with the city of Pittsburgh, with about 200 of their emergency workers, firefighters, police, some EMS, and putting them through the seven day rescue challenge. So, I, I, you know, this potentially could be a blueprint that we could take to any city in America, right? And that would be really really cool. So, you know, like you. I just want to continue to make a difference, you know, get as many people as possible on board this lifestyle so they can avoid, right, dying of prematurely from chronic Western disease and just, you know, be the best version of themselves. Well, Rip, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, mate. And yeah, you certainly are making a a huge difference. So Thank you for all the work that you're doing and, and I look forward to seeing the, the podcast grow and flourish and what the future has in store for you. Yeah. Thank you, Simon. Uh, well, I look forward to having you on the Plant Strong podcast the next time that our paths cross and, you know, good on you for the dent that you've made in just four or five years of you being, of being Plant Strong. It's impressive. I mean, now, all of a sudden, I didn't even know who you were six months ago. And now everywhere I turn, you know, it's that Simon Hill guy, <laughs> Simon Hill. Still my bit. Now, if anyone would like to connect with you, follow your journey, yep. listen to the podcast, where can they find you? Yep. So website is, is engine2.com where, where we have all of our, our free resources, our uh, programming, the books. And there's meal planners and stuff. Like yeah, meal planner, er- everything like that. Lots of different things. On um, you know Instagram, Facebook, 
and all the social media stuff. I got two channels. I got at, at Engine 2 Diet. And then just in October, I started my own personal one at Rip Esselstyn. Perfect. Yeah. There you go, guys. Yep. Awesome. It's been all a right. pleasure. Cheers, man. Playing strong, my man. Well, there you go, friends. I told you Rip was passionate. Could you feel it? I could. Rip's a guy that I could hang out with for hours and hours. He really makes plant-based nutrition cool, and I like that. Certainly, no doubt, a big part why he is a New York Times best-selling author. If you enjoyed this episode, both myself and Rip would love to hear from you. Please share your feedback on social media and tag us. And finally, if you haven't left a review for the show on iTunes and have a spare minute, it would be greatly appreciated. That's it for today. I'll catch you in the next episode.